Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. All right, take your Bibles and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, we have been in 1 Samuel for the last couple of weeks now. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel through the month of August. And we're really going through, we're going through this series focused on... We want a king. And really looking more specifically at the nation of Israel and uh, what they pursued when it came to a king. And uh, our series idea for this whole time is that uh, true success is only achieved when the Lord leads. True success is only achieved when the Lord leads. Leads. That's our series idea. So if you, someone were to ask you, hey, I see that uh, your church has been going through this series called We Want a King. What's it about? You could point to this phrase and it sums up the entirety of where we're going and what scripture reveals. True success is only achieved when who leads? The Lord. And specifically today, we're actually going to look at one verse in 1 Samuel 8 and unpack something that is of such importance in this discussion that we often don't stop to consider its importance. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 8, what is taking place is that God is responding to Samuel's disdain at the solution that was brought to him by the elders of Israel. And so just to rehash a little bit, Samuel is this prophet and judge or leader in the nation of Israel on the tail end of what we know in Scripture as the period of the judges, which lasted about 400 to 450 years, give or take some, okay? More than 400 years of time, where Israel repeated this cycle of falling into sin, being given over to captivity of one of their enemies, crying out to the Lord for deliverance, and then God raising up a judge or a leader to deliver them out of captivity. Then they would go through a period of silence or where they would flourish, and then they would repeat the cycle. Now Samuel had sons who he appointed to lead and they did not follow in his father's footsteps. They did not follow the Lord. And so the last week we highlighted that the elders came up with a solution to their perceived problems. Their perceived problems being Samuel, you're old. And Samuel, your sons are not following the Lord. And so their perceived solution was... To raise up an earthly king. In other words, they came to Samuel and said, why don't you appoint for us a king like all the other nations in the world? That's the solution. And so Samuel's not happy about this. Everyone say, not happy. 
So Samuel's not happy about this, and he goes to God, and God essentially says, all right, Samuel, you need to just give in to what the people are saying. Let the, you need to do as the people have asked you to do. And, and then we get to verse 8, right after God has reminded Samuel they've rejected me, not you. And so verse 8, it says, 1 Samuel 8, verse 8, According to all the deeds that they have done, they being Israel, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Forsaking me... And serving other gods. This is a problem. Everyone say this is a problem. And this really focuses on the main entity of our discussion for tonight. And that is the concept, the biblical concept of idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. Now, as our main idea for this message tonight here, if you walk away from nothing else, this is what I want you to take away from tonight. And that is, idolatry forsakes God by elevating any earthly entity over Him. Idolatry forsakes God by elevating any earthly entity over Him. Now, this is not a new concept, okay? And in fact, if we go back further in the Old Testament and we step back into Exodus specifically, we see Israel constantly falling into this pattern of idolatry. We see them fall into idolatry when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai for 40 days. And what does Israel do? They make a golden calf. And Moses comes off the mountain and Israel is worshipping this golden calf. But that's not even where it ended. When the, Israel, the nation of Israel entered the promised land, God told them, you need to drive out the nations that are here so that you don't serve, end up serving the other gods that reside with these people. Well, they drove out enough people to make themselves comfortable, but then it wasn't long before they found themselves serving other gods. Just as God foreknew that they would and warned them about. They move into the desert. We see rumblings and a shifting of priority. First for food, but then not the same food, and then water, etc. You see the pattern here, never satisfied, always in pursuit of something else, no matter what is taking place. And I'll have you know, if we read the Old Testament narrative, we see God show up in some absolutely tremendous ways. God delivering them out of Egypt with the plagues. God going before them in a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, visibly present. God parting the waters, and allowing them to walk through on dry land. Over and over and over again, God has shown His faithfulness to His people. 
And his people continue to go after other earthly entities. We see this continue even throughout the Old Testament past Samuel in the book of Hosea. The whole premise of Hosea is God using Hosea as an example that Israel has committed adultery and gone after another love. Directly representing his relationship with his people. Most directly, right after Samuel, we see the years of kings, which started here and continues on. Kings, so many kings who pursued their own way, who served and did according to their own will, who brought in gods, foreign gods and idols and set them up and the people bowed down to that which was not the one true God. Now, I give this brief history of Israel's idolatry to paint the picture that this is not an isolated issue. And the reality is, church, this is not an isolated issue that stopped within Scripture. It continues. We have a struggle with idolatry, whether we realize it or not. And to recognize idolatry forsakes God by elevating Any, everyone say any, any earthly entity over him. So what I want to do in the rest of our time is I kind of want to, I want to identify what is idolatry according to scripture. And the first place I want us to look at is Colossians 3, 5, and 6. It's going to be on the screen. And here Paul is talking to the church of Colossae. And we have this concept here where he's speaking to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but he says this to them, put to death, therefore, what is, what is that word? Earthly, everyone say earthly, in you, he gives some examples, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's a pretty specific warning. But I want you to see, even within the context of Colossians 3, the main idea that we're emphasizing tonight when we try to define what categorizes as idolatry. And how does this fit into the grand scheme of my own life? And what do we see here happening in the nation of Israel? And how does this all pertain? And it's a specific focus on setting aside that which is earthly within us, meaning that which is of our flesh. And several weeks ago, we talked about this battle, this war that's taking place within us when we come to faith in Christ and we realize our need for a Savior that, man, there's still a fleshly part of me that wants to pursue the things of the flesh. And yet, now I have the Spirit of God that is over here saying, this is what... The focus needs to be, this is where you need to shift your thinking. And so there's a war, and Paul's exhortation here is put, it, put away, put aside, throw out the earthly parts of you, because it's idolatry. Idolatry forsakes God by elevating any earthly entity over Him. Now, out of this, one, the first point I want you to jot down here is that idolatry is a heart issue, not a habit issue. 
Idolatry is a heart issue, not a habit issue. Paul's words in Colossians state specifically, it's in you. It's, it's not something outside of you. It's not something external that you need to put away. It's in you. And if, to emphasize this further, in Psalm 37, verse 4 through 6, it says, Delight yourself in whom? In the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. Now, many a person has read this passage and says, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, He's going to give me whatever I want. Wrong. Everyone, everyone say wrong. Okay, it's really important that you see this is not correct. Okay, this is not right thinking. But ultimately, if we read a passage like this, if my delight is first and foremost in the Lord, then where do the desires of my heart go? Ultimately, they steer towards the things of the Lord, don't they? And it goes further into that. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness. It's a big difference from looking at it and going, well, if I delight in the Lord, He's going to give me whatever I want. That would be the flesh talking. Because, you know, I'd really like this new car, or I'd really like this new device, or I'd really like a promotion, or I'd really like this number in my bank account. And there are many people who faithfully devote themselves to the Lord's work, who from an earthly standpoint don't have anything. So it's foolish if we consider that somehow I can disguise my idolatry under a guise of spirituality and get off. Okay? It's a heart issue, not a habit issue. Another passage that I like to reference when I'm thinking about this is Proverbs 4, verse 23, where it says, keep your heart. Another way of saying that is guard your heart with all vigilance because from it flow the springs of life. And the short of this is that you pay close attention to the condition of your heart. And I'm not just talking about your physical heart here, okay? When I say heart, I'm talking about your whole being, the core of who you are. Now, don't take that to say you shouldn't take your heart medication or still eat well, okay? Take care of your physical heart too, alright? This is important. But in this context, we're talking about idolatry being an issue of my inner being, an issue of my whole self, an issue of what makes me, me. If I bow to another authority other than God, it reveals a heart issue in me that is much deeper than in the action itself. Now, I want to clarify along with that that there is a difference between bowing to or elevating an authority as opposed to submitting to an authority. There is a difference here, okay? Do not cross those two over each other. When we bow to an authority, we commit allegiance to that authority in every single season, no matter what. And there is one authority we are called 
to bow to, and that is the one true God. Idolatry is a heart issue, not a habit issue. Now, the second thing I want to draw out of this, if we consider what's taking place in 1 Samuel 8, the people are asking for a king. And God's saying, in everything that I've done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, they are, they are forsaking me and serving other gods. Now, if you read this before, you may be prone to, if you read this without reading the rest of the context, you may be prone to say, what is serving other gods have anything to do with what Israel is doing here? And the reality is, by Israel coming back and demanding an earthly king, they were at the same time forsaking God's authority as ruler over them and were looking to elevate an earthly entity above what they had in God. And so whether they see it as that or not, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God definitely does. And he fights for his people consistently. Over and over, he mourns how his people pursue other things and other beings over him and all he has given and all he has promised. This brings me to the second point, and that is idolatry happens with good things. Everyone say good Idolatry happens with good things. Now, I am banking on the fact here that most of you, and I would hope none of you, have some sort of gold image in your house that you wake up and bow to every day. Okay? I hope that is not the case for any of you. However, we have an idolatry issue. And so I want to pause for a minute, and we're going to have some participation here. I'm going to move this so you all can see. Okay? I want to brainstorm here a little bit, because idolatry ultimately happens with things that are good things. And so I want you to think, I want you to brainstorm with me, what kinds of good things... Are we prone to make an idol? And I want to preface this. Remember our main idea that idolatry is any earthly thing that we elevate above God. What, shout some out. What are some examples of earthly things that we are prone to elevate? Family. Oh man. This is why I brought it back up. Ha ha, there we go. Family. What else? We'll we'll just do entertainment as a whole. What else? Job. I heard money. We'll just do possessions. What else? Health. Health. 
What was that? Youth. Always striving to be young. What else? We'll just go leadership. That's what we see in First Samuel, right? We'll just go activity, okay? Sports. Now, we could go on and on and on and on about this, all right? I want to shift gears a little bit, okay? What is it? This, these are all true within, like, our personal lives. And potentially even things that we struggle with right now. But I want to expand our thinking in this. Because what we see taking place in Israel was a cultural issue. Okay? It was a cultural issue and everyone was struggling with this. The only opposition we see to this is Samuel. Who's going, God, I don't think this is what you've set in motion. I don't think this is what you've put in place. So, what earthly entities as the church are we prone to make an idol that is elevated above God? List them out. As the church. Okay? Structures. Like denominations. What else? Programs. Leadership goes right in there. I've said over and over, I do not ever want any of you To see me up here and put me in the place of Christ. But for many people it happens. Many churches elevate their pastor well above the truth of scripture and well above the very one who saved them. Okay? What else? Money. What else? We can idolize images. That even depict something that is true. But we make it more about that image than we do what it represents. Absolutely. Images. Buildings. And I'm going to put one on there myself. Traditions. Now, when we look at these, when we look, this is a big list And when we look at this list, the reality is any one of these things on its own doesn't have to be bad. And in fact, we would look at many of these things and go, these are good things. These are positive things. So at what point does it become not a good thing anymore? And I'm telling you, biblically, it doesn't become a good thing when it takes the place that only God should reside in. 
And so often we are prone to do this. And I'm going to say we are way more prone to do this even as a church than we are in our individual lives. I can identify in my individual life. Man, I'm, I'm starting to idol, make an idol out of this. It's consuming my time. It's really taking up a lot of what I should be focusing on. But then when we gather and we see ourselves as the body of Christ, we see ourselves as the very entity God wants to use to further His purposes, how much time do we spend looking at who we are as a whole and going, what does who we are say about who we worship? And just as easily, church, we can, we can sway over into idolatry just like the nation of Israel is doing here when they're saying, get us an earthly king. And God's going, Samuel, they're forsaking me, not you. They're pursuing and elevating something of this earth over their relationship with me. And so that's a challenge for us to go through and identify what are the things I'm most prone to make an idol of? What are the things we, we corporately are most prone to make an idol of? And how am I going to start ridding these things from my life and making them good again and not idols? Now, some of you may be looking at this and going, oh man, now I feel like I've got all these things. Where do I start? What do I even do? How do I even navigate this? And so I want to give you basically kind of a cheat sheet, okay, of questions you can ask to identify what, what that is, okay? And so this is your application slide, warning signs and diagnosis. And so you could take a picture of this. I wouldn't try to write it all down at once, okay? And if you look at this and, and you go, oh, there's no way I can write this down fully, and you would like a copy of it, let me know. Shoot me an email. I will send it to you, okay? But to think about these, what do we complain about the most? What do we spend the majority of our time and money on? What scares or worries us the most? Where do we go for comfort when we are hurting? What brings us the most joy? Whose affirmation do we long for? What are we not able to set down? Now this is just a start, okay? There's more questions we could add to this. But ultimately, I want to challenge us as a church not only to recognize our temptation to ease over into idolatry, but also the reality that we can become so comfortable with these structures and these idols that we set up. And we don't call them idols because it's not some golden calf. And yet we treat it just the same. An idol is elevating. Idolatry is elevating any earthly entity above God Himself. And if we fall back on this, church, to remind ourselves that true success is only achieved when who's in the leadership position? The Lord. I'm going to say the Lord. May we pursue Him first in everything that we do. May He be the only object of our worship. 
And may He reveal in us that which threatens the place only He should consume in our life as the church. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Let's pray together. Father, You are most holy God. We are in desperate need of Your help. God, I pray that You would reveal in us as the church what we have been prone to make an idol of. God, that You would bring us to a place of repentance where we see the error in our ways and we turn fully to You. God, may this be the beginning, potentially, of transformation. Thank You, Lord, for being faithful to your promises. The depth of this reveals even further that salvation is only by grace through faith because there's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn what you have given us in Christ. We worship you now in recognition of who you are so much more than we can comprehend. In the name of Jesus we pray.